Let us turn now in God's holy word to Hebrews, the third chapter, the book of Hebrews, the third chapter. And in a moment, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, all the way down to Hebrews 4, verse 5, Hebrews 4, verse 5. And the topic for this evening is found in questions 32 to 35 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. And it's very much, those questions are very much introducing what's called the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. And very simply, before the fall of Adam, Adam was to keep the law of God perfectly so that he would enjoy the blessings of God. Today... Our works are but filthy rags. And so our works are not good enough. So now in this covenant after the fall, and if you want to think of the the covenant of grace, just think of after the fall. And it is that that one covenant of grace and two testaments, which we're going to be looking at over this message and also in the next one in two weeks' time after we observe the Lord's table. It is that one covenant of grace under the Old Testament and in the New. Now, why is it different? Well, there's different ways in which God administered to his people. It's kind of how God managed and dealt with his people at that time. And the only way we know this, any of this, is because it's been revealed to us. It's been revealed to us in the word of the living God. That's the only way we can know this. Now, there's a lot of material here, so this is why it's kind of broken up over two messages. The first message is very much going to be focusing on what is the same between the Old and the New Testament? What doesn't change? Because, quite frankly, this has often gotten wrong in a lot of places. But in two weeks' time, we're going to be focusing on what is different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's important that we... We understand this, these are topics that would be, we could just do really quickly, but I think it's important for our understanding of the entirety of the Bible, that we get a grasp of this, that we see in this first part, what has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and so that in this, when we go to our Old Testament, When we read the Psalms, when we read Isaiah, when we read Genesis, when we read Exodus, when we read all these books, we may see that there's one common thread all the way through. A very, very simple thread. That it's the same God. It's the same gospel. And the same glory promised ahead. So let us read now God's holy and infallible word. uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, down to Hebrews 4, verse 5. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses was faithful to all in all his house. For this one has count this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. 
for a testimony of those things which be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be In any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed, for we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. How to look at the Old Testament as something that has caused Christians for, well, thousands of years, difficulty, uh, great challenges. And there's always been the tendency or the temptation to leave the Old Testament behind. And this goes right back even to the early church at times. And some of even the heresies of the early church have come out of this temptation. Uh, We would, there's times when we think, well, you know, a new Christian will find the New Testament a lot easier to understand. And in the early church, the New Testament was in Greek and there was the difficulty with the Old Testament being in Hebrew. Much of the world at the time spoke Greek, kind of like our English today. And there was also the struggle to see, and I say to see because these two fit together, how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. 
They do. Um, and actually, as you see it more and more, the New Testament is continuously over and over, actually, even in the passage we just read, quoting from the Old Testament. So, dear friends, if you're struggling here with this issue, you're not alone. Okay, you're not alone. There's many Christians who do struggle with this, uh, this issue. But we must, we must tackle it and we must see... Because otherwise, we're not going to get the benefit of the entirety of the Bible. If we understand these truths that are continuously the same, right the way from the fall of Adam, all the way to the end of time, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, then we can see and even read books such as Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all these books that they're really speaking to the people of God of whom we are. We are part of God's people. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when Paul was writing to Timothy, saying that all scripture was given by inspiration of God, the New Testament canon was not complete at that point, was it? Much of what Paul was writing about to Timothy, he was referring to the Old Testament canon. Now, it's as much a truth of all scripture, but it certainly includes the Old Testament as well. So how can we learn from Old Testament books? Yes, there are senses in which, and we'll look at this more detail in two weeks' time, but how outward signs and symbols and pictures and forms, blood sacrifice of animals, uh, incense, and all these things had a teaching role that have been taken away. Anything to do with the temple has been taken away. These outward forms taken away. But certain things are in the Old Testament and they continue on in the New Testament. To put it like this, though the outward forms may be different, the substance the very core is the same. And this is why we say one covenant of grace right the way from the fall of Adam onwards. So number one, we're going to look at the same God. This is number one, our first point, the same God. Now this might seem very obvious. Of course it's the same God. But is it? Is it? Uh, If we look at verse four of chapter three, This is in Hebrews. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. He who built all things is God. Now, the temptation is this, isn't it? To see, well, in the Old Testament, God is showing his wrath more, isn't he? And in the New Testament, well, it's a bit more mercy. And we can start to think that, well, the Old Testament... God, I, I say this as sometimes this has happened in church history. The Old Testament God is filled with wrath. And the New Testament God, well, he's more merciful. He's more loving and kind. I don't know if you've ever heard the word Gnosticism. It was an early church heresy. And it was one of the errors they fell into. They started to think that the Old Testament God was different to the New Testament God. We're really one And the same God. There's a real danger we can begin to think that 
God is somehow different from the old covenant to the new covenant or the new testament to the or from the old testament to the new testament. It is the same God who fills all things. And by fills all things we say he's infinite in glory, in power, in majesty. It's the same God who Isaiah is in awe of in the New Testament. Isaiah says this, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that same God is the one who is manifest in the flesh. In, in, his, in his humanity, he is true man. But in his deity, he fills heaven and earth. He is infinite, incomprehensible. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the God, that same God in the Old Testament who has delivered his people. That same God spoken about here by Paul as it writes to the Hebrews. The same God in the Old Testament and New Testament. The same God who saved you is the same God who parted the Red Sea. Same God. And his power is no less than when that water crashed over the enemies of God. No different. Without beginning and without an infinite, unfathomable, something I learned the other day about the word fathom. A fathom was a a measure of the sea. And there was all these fathoms, you go down, down, down. That word unfathomable, something you can't come to the bottom of, something you can't comprehend. And our God has no limits. That is the God whom we worship. That is the God whom we serve. That is the God who in the Old Testament, yes, there's more of an emphasis on wrath at times, but it is exactly the same God. He shows wrath to his enemies. By the way, there's examples in the New Testament of God showing wrath to the churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. God shows wrath, by the way, today. He shows his wrath today. He shows his mercy today to those who are his people. Those who have the blood of the Lamb to cover them. It says this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers, this is in the Old Testament, Paul's writing, Paul the Apostle, writing in the New Testament, writing of the Old Testament fathers, he says, all our fathers were under the cloud. Our fathers. All passed through the sea. Talk about the, going through the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. We ate the same spiritual food. Isn't that amazing? And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them... God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Do you see? God showed wrath to those who who were not looking to him. They were not looking to his promised redeemer. They were not looking to the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. Going right back to Genesis 3.15. He is the same God. 
The same deliverer, the same power, the same glory. Christ was there delivering them out of Egypt. The same God. He is just as much, Christ is just as much God as the Father is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Infinite in power and glory. They fill heaven and they fill earth. And this is why we say this, because our Christ is, he's true God and true man, he's true God, he fills all the things, and he can say to his followers today, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. How can he say that? He, he says, as he goes away, he, in one sense, he's going away. But in another sense, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How is this possible? Because he is the same God. The same God. Jesus is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere in his flesh. In his flesh. He is at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is in heaven today interceding for his people. But in his divine nature. He fills all things. Christ is true God. He is the same God of the Old Testament as in the New Testament. He is with us. Dear friends, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with us here this evening. It says in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice. And Paul, they're quoting in, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, He's quoting from Psalm number 95 and saying very, very clearly, the Holy Spirit says this. The one who wrote the scriptures, the one who fills all things, both now and forever. It says in Isaiah 44, verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last besides me. There is no God. Besides me, there is no God. So we must not in any way think of God as having changed in any way from Old Testament to New Testament. He's the same God. And he's the only God. The infinite God. In glory and in majesty. Which is why we need to know both the Old and the New Testament in our understanding of God. So our first point again is, is the same God. Our second point now, the same gospel preached. The same gospel preached. It says in verse 7 and verse 8, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. Do not harden your hearts. And then in Hebrews 4, Verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 4 verses 1 and 2. Therefore since a promise remains of entering his rest. Let us fear lest any of you should have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith. And those who heard us. Now, those who did not profit are those who were 40 years in the wilderness and their corpses were 
in fell in the wilderness, as it says in verse 17 of the previous chapter. Now with them was he angry 40 years. That generation which the Lord showed his wrath toward, was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? It's the same gospel preached. The same gospel where they were brought into Canaan. It points towards something far greater than any piece of land. It points toward a heavenly reality, a heavenly truth. It says in question 32 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, it says, how is the grace of God manifested or shown in the second covenant? And the second covenant is talking about is that covenant of grace, that one covenant of grace. It says, the grace of God is manifested in the second covenant in that he freely provideth and offereth to sinners a mediator and life and salvation by him and requiring faith as the condition to interest them in him, promiseth and giveth his Holy Spirit to all his elect to work in them that that faith with all other saving graces and to enable them unto all holy obedience as the evidence of the truth of their faith and thankfulness to God and as the way which he hath appointed them to salvation. And dear friends, this truth of what was offered in the mediator, offered life and salvation is true in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The same gospel is preached to Abraham. Same gospel is preached to Cain and Abel. The same gospel was preached to Adam and Eve. The same gospel was preached all the way through. There is one gospel, the same gospel message. We need to flesh this out a little bit, don't we, to show this. The same gospel because God's righteous standard, because he is the same God, he never changes, his standard remains. We may change what we, our standards may go up and down from time to time because we are creatures. But God's standard never ever changes. And whether before the fall or after the fall, perfect holiness is required. Now, sometimes we may look at the Old Testament as a different gospel. There are various movements within the church that will, and some of them are Good, sound teachers as well. This isn't all terrible teachers. But sometimes people will look at parts of the Old Testament or the entire Old Testament as if it was some kind of a works-based acceptance before God. And in the New Testament, well, it's all changed now. It's by grace. Dear friends, that is impossible after the fall of Adam. We've never been good enough. Ever since the fall of Adam, in Adam all die. And all we can earn, it's not grace, because that is to misunderstand grace. It can't be grace and mercy that we earn. That is what we earn in wages. We earn wrath. It says this in Romans 11 verse 6, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Well, let's put it another way. You cannot mix oil and water. It's either of grace or it's of works. You can't mix them. It's either of one or it's of the other. 
We cannot be saved by a combination of grace and our works together. Our works are not good enough. They never were in the Old Testament and they certainly are not in the New Testament. Equally impossible. The greatest thing we can offer God is filthy rags. It says this in Isaiah 64 verse 6. But we all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And the same problem that was there for Adam and Eve, once they fell, there was that same problem. They were sinners. They needed to be clothed by God. They needed to be washed by God. And what did they do? Adam and Eve both trusted in that promise. We know this because Adam called his wife Eve the mother of all living, right after the promise of Genesis 3.15. Again, the same gospel was given to Abraham. This is the difference, by the way. Abel and Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel in Genesis chapter 4, but what made the two different? Abel had faith in the promise, and Cain did not. Cain did not, and he killed his own brother. Abraham believed and was justified by faith. It says this in Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Actually, this is quoted in Romans chapter 4, when it says this in verses 1 to 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And it quotes then from from Genesis 15 verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works. The wages. Think of works and wages. Are not counted as grace. But as debt. So if I do something for you. If I work for something for you. Then you are in my debt. That's the idea. If you work for something. The other person owes you. And that's nothing to do with grace. Again, think of grace and works like oil and water. They do not mix. Put another way, Abraham was saved in exactly the same way you or I were saved. Yes, animal sacrifices were there. Yes, there was circumcision. Yes, all these things. But saved in the same way to the same Savior. By, by grace alone. Through Christ alone. By faith alone. It says this. Um, when speaking of the difference in Cain and Abel in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Comparing Cain and Abel. And also, we might have the question, did Moses believe in Christ? Well, he did. He looked forward to the, 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 the promised Deliverer who would come. The the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. It says this in Hebrews 11 verses 24 down to 26. Hebrews 11 verse 24 to 26. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Notice how he's turning his back on the world. Choosing rather to suffer affliction. With the people of God and to enjoy 
the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Even Moses. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. The same Savior, by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And they needed to have victory over the seed. The same gospel is proclaimed in our text. In in Hebrews 3 verse 12 down to 15. It says this. Beware brethren. Lest any of you. In any of you have an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. While it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, the same message. Don't harden your hearts to the voice of the shepherd. Trust in that shepherd. Listen to his voice. If you love his voice, you look to him by faith. If you trusted in him. The, the, the gospel talks, that same gospel, the danger of unbelief. The danger of not bowing the knee and following him. The danger of what the Bible even calls a stiff neck. And if if your neck is stiff, very hard to turn around and to change. Now what might that look like for us today? If we see something in the Bible, very clear. I'm not talking about sometimes sincere believers will disagree over certain application and certain things in the word of God. But there's something clear. You you see, it's wrong to blaspheme God. But it doesn't bother you to use the Lord's name in vain. You make excuses for your sin rather than seeking forgiveness before God. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But if our hearts are hardened, it will not be bothered by our sin. It will continue on in that sin. You might, you might see clearly in the word of God that it is wrong to break the fourth commandment. And you're being convicted of this. I remember I came to, to know the fourth commandment only around 20, about four or five years after I got saved. But you watch sports on the Lord's Day and think nothing of violating and doing works of recreation and other things on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day just is another day. This is hardening your heart. You see that the word of God tells you plainly in in its word uh, to love your family, uh, to show commitment in your marriage and and other things. But you're not interested in these things. You harden your heart and you just want to do what you want to do. That's a dangerous place to be. And that is what this scripture is talking about. Do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. We're not always going to get things right. We're all learning, aren't we? You know, there's things five years ago I didn't see in the word of God that I did. And now I wouldn't do them anymore. But the question is, what do you do when you do see them? When the Lord does show it to you through the spirit of God. Do you harden your heart? And how do we have softened hearts? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only way we're ever going to believe. And the Lord will show pity on us. It says this in Romans 9 verses 15 and 16. For he says, 
To Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And how do we know that God has shown mercy to you, dear friend? How do we know? You're not hardening your heart to the voice of the shepherd on a daily basis. We even saw it this morning. Pick up your cross daily. This is a daily thing. This is not something we do some days and we don't do other days. But look at the consequences of those who did not believe, who through unbelief, what did they find in the wilderness? There's a picture of death in verses 18 and 19 of Hebrews chapter 3. And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Look at verse 19 to show us the same gospel message, even of entering into the land of Canaan. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. How did they get the land? By faith alone. By faith alone. See, dear friends, that land is a picture of the heavenly Canaan to come. They were cast out, why? Unbelief. They were rejected from the land because of unbelief. How do you know if you have faith? You listen to him. And that's the same in the Old Testament and in the New Our final point here this evening is number three. The same glory promised. The same glory promised. So we've looked at the same God, the same gospel preached, the same glory promised. Now I say the same glory promised. There is a difference in the glory of the Old and the New Testament. There's a greater glory in the New Testament than the Old Testament. I think we'd all agree with that. There's a greater clarity in the New Testament. There's a greater um, blessing to be part of this period of from from the time of Christ onwards there's greater measures of the the outpourings of the spirit of God the Holy Spirit since Pentecost but we'll look at that more in two weeks time when we look at part two what I'm saying here is the same gospel promised or the same glory promised is that we are the same people and the same glory of the new heavens and the new earth Heaven that awaits, a heavenly Jerusalem. That is the same glory that awaits all believers, either Old or New Testament believers. We, by faith, have been brought into this one body. It actually gives a picture of this one body from that time onwards in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, from verse 16, it gives a picture of... This one church, you could say, from all the way from the fall, all the way to the end of time. And you have an olive tree. And there's these wild olive branches grafted in. And how are they grafted in? By faith. By faith. Into that one olive tree. It says in Romans 11 verse 16, For if the first fruits is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, And you being a wild olive tree, that's speaking of the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. Then skipping on a little bit here, it says in verse 19, you will say then, branches are broken off, I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, 
they were broken off. See, it's It's the same. We are grafted into that one people of God. It's, you know, when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at Exodus, and we look at the, the people of Israel being brought out of the land of Egypt, that's our history. That's our history too. As much as the covenanter history is our history today. They are God's people. And we've been grafted in by faith in Jesus Christ. And promised the same glory ahead. It says in Hebrews 4 verse 1. Therefore since a promise remains. Of entering his rest. A promise remains. A promise remains. The promise is unto you and unto your children. Peter, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 2. And all that are far off. All that are far off, the Gentiles are grafted in by faith. Into that one body. And Canaan ahead is the picture of rest. You see that rest is a picture. An eternal rest that awaits all of us. There's an eternal Sabbath that awaits. What do we do on the Sabbath day? Eternal resting and refreshment in Jesus Christ. A picture of that all that God promises will come to pass. And this was actually brought out in the book of Joshua. In Joshua, it said, all of the promises, it says in verse 45 of Joshua 21, all came to pass. Not a word failed of anything which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. And not a single thing that is promised to the people of God will fail in our journey toward a heavenly Canaan, toward a heavenly Jerusalem. There's a picture. There's a picture. And by the way, these promises in the first few books of the, the, New, the Old Testament, they weren't just about a physical land. They weren't just about a physical temple. They were about something that pointed way beyond these things. A temple that would reach so far beyond. Its measurements were ridiculously big. I've seen that at the end of the book of Ezekiel. But it was a temple that would spread. It was a, a house of God that would spread. Taking over the whole earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5 verse 5. The kingdom has grown from the days of the Old Testament. We've seen, if you think about it, uh, the, the people of God were a small people in today what's called the Middle East. And now, what do we have? If you think about it, you turn on the news and, you know, and it's, you know, we, we, it's sad. We see Christians being persecuted in various parts of the world. But think of it another way. There are Christians, there are believers in the promised seed all over the world. China, as much as they try to crush it, it keeps growing. There's, there are believers in Iran. There are believers across Africa. I have met, personally met many Brazilian Christians who live in the south of Ireland. The kingdom is growing just as promised. And we see tastes of it. We only see tastes of it. But there's a heavenly Canaan to come. A perfect peace, a perfect rest, perfect healing. And all that he's promised will happen. Up until this point, not a single promise has failed. 
that awaits us all. Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Put it another way, the best, dear friends, is yet to come. Or put it another way as well, the history of God's people in the Old Testament and the New is ours. Have you ever thought about that? The Old Testament is not for the ethnic Jew. The Old Testament is for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's for those with a circumcised heart. It's for those who have been washed with the blood of the Lamb, the Passover Lamb. The true fulfillment of that. And dear friends, I ask you this evening, is your God the God of the Old Testament? Just as much as he's the God of the New Testament. And if we do think that way, wouldn't we read both of them? Ready to see... Oh Lord, today, if I'm reading through Jeremiah or whatever you're reading through, let us not think, oh well, that happened before the exile. What's that got to do with me? It has everything to do with you. This is your history. These are our people. When we go to heaven, we're going to see those people among them who have trusted in the Savior. One day. The same God, the same gospel that has set them free in the Old Testament. Now we may be here and think, ah, look, this is all too hard. It's all too difficult. Friends, don't make excuses. The problem is not the Bible. The problem is us at times. Are we willing to learn? We don't understand everything. I don't understand everything. But are we willing to grow? Are we receptive that little light God will give you more light if you respond to that light he's given you it's like a child you will not give him or her too much responsibility too early what do we do with those things that God has shown us those those things that seem so inconsequential that it's the same God that it's the same promises and the same gospel what do we do with that Because that's enough to understand much of the Old and the New Testament. Dear friends, we need to be changed by God. A God who never changes. A God who never fails. A God who never disappoints. All that would trust in his promises both in the Old Testament and in the New. Amen.